This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Well, hello. Welcome to Agony Rants. This is Agony Rants, but it's not Agony Rants. We are still on our Christmas break and we will return with a new season on the 8th of January. We are really looking forward to that. Agonyrants at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. We want your problems. We want your topics. We want you. Just get in touch and uh, we would love to hear from you. In the meantime, we are doing a feed swap with Tell Me Everything, which is a fantastic new podcast. We are going to post an episode of their show and they're going to post an episode of Agony Rants. So that's exciting. This is my episode of a new podcast. It's called Tell Me Everything. It's hosted by the fabulous Liam Garrow. Every week, guests bring their three favourite things from pop culture. I brought the incomparable Bette Midler, the inimitable Kylie Minogue and the iconic Golden Girls. It was such a fun chat just gushing about these absolute divas. Um, Liam also revealed to me a deep, dark secret that shook me to my core and I'm sure it will do the same to you. If you enjoy, you can check out the show's Instagram at TellLeamEverything for more content and make sure to follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. I loved doing this show. Liam is so much fun. He pops up on loads of different podcasts, huge podcasts. Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant and he is a really fun guy and I really like him and I really think you're going to love the show. So enjoy. We'll be back on the 8th of January. Oh my god babes hello everyone i'm liam garrow welcome to tell me everything listen in the event that you haven't listened to the show before let me give you a quick rundown this really is about it's about being nerds that's really what the show is it's about letting both myself and my guest nerd out about absolutely everything and everyone that they love in art and in pop culture and really kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty of like why they love these things and these people so much. And also, I should say, nothing is off the table. Whether we're talking about the absolute most gorgeous prestige performance from an Oscar-winning movie or the most debaucherous moment from trash reality TV, I really do want to hear it all. And each week, I'm going to be bringing to you a brand new guest who's going to come on with three things that I want them to tell me everything about. And on this week's show, when I tell you that we have an absolute gem of a human being... Grod Farrelly, he is a very funny comedian who's performed at comedy festivals quite literally all over the world. And you can listen to his very funny podcast, Agony Rants, wherever podcasts are available. And if you want to see him live, which you totally should, he is currently on tour with his newest stand-up show, Glamour Hammer. And if you want to know about dates and where he's performing, two pieces of information – Either go to his Instagram or go to his website, GerodeFairly.com, and then you can get all caught up. There's really no point in keeping you waiting. This is my gorgeous chat with the one, the only, he's such a peach, Garode Farrelly. <sighs> Garode Farrelly. We need to let the audience know the emotional journey that's brought us to this moment right now. When I tell you, audience, this is our third time trying to record this intro. We <laughs> have really gone through the ringer. I mean, when you talk about the Sisyphean task that is trying to just broker, what, a stable Wi-Fi connection. I mean, Sisyphean has got <laughs> nothing on us. Nothing. A rock up a hill, nothing. a dream in comparison to this. 
it's been difficult. I'm not going to lie. And I do, I, I do, I think it's my fault. I think it's my Wi-Fi connection. And also what happens to me as well, when I'm recording with uh, somebody that's on the West Coast, Okay. What happens is I go into this, my spare room, which is kind of like an office, and uh, I turn off the fan and I close all of the windows and mm-hmm. I dress nicely because you're recording video. And then mm-hmm. I realize mm-hmm. how hot it is mm-hmm. <laughs> at this time of night. <laughs> so I will be by the end of this, like, I, I, I hope that the video that you post is like really sweaty. Well, I hope you know that you have absolute carte blanche throughout the interview to just strip away each individual article of clothing as we go. <laughs> And we will both probably <laughs> finish this episode. Letters. By the end of this, when I tell you that we will both be naked and a mess, just a <laughs> mess. Because also, now let me ask you, this is a real question. Are you like a sweater? Um, No, not not really. Um, mm. But I am at the moment. Now I am, you know, I'm, I'm two layers. There's two layers on me and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I have, what's that thing? The hyperhidrosis? Is that what it's called? I'll believe it. Yeah, I think I think that's what I have today. I don't know. I have the kind like so here's and this is a true story. I once was dancing because I used to be a person who would go out, and I once was dancing um, at this like in this underground parking lot. It was part of a theater festival. It made sense at the time, but I I was so warm and sweating so profusely that a friend who bumped into me that night later on told me he couldn't fathom that I was that sweaty just on my own. He naturally assumed I was on drugs, which I was not. <laughs> Like that is how, that is how profuse a sweater I am. Like I need only stand erect and then I will feel the one bead dropped on my back. That's all I need to grow. <laughs> well, that is a man who has never danced properly the way you should mm. dance in an underground car park. I do. I dance honestly, apparently like my life depends on it. Liam. That's perfect. That's yeah. absolutely perfect. That's the way dancing should be. Like yes. these people that just toe tap on the fringes, they need to cop on. If That's I don't not what life's ta- about. If I don't shatter my femur at least once while I'm dancing, <laughs> I haven't done my job. <laughs> <laughs> Every good night out should end up getting an x-ray. That's exactly right. If I don't end in the ER, I mean, yeah. what are we even doing? We're not finished. <laughs> We're not finished. Yeah, until I, yeah, literally, if we go home and I'm not in the backseat of an ambulance, I go, guys, I've got one more song in me. I've got one <laughs> more dance left. Now, wait, should we also tell people, you and I... And I'm so miffed about this, but you and I could have almost met in person, but a few days ago. I know. I couldn't believe this. I don't know why. I always thought you were in Los Angeles. And when I was asked to do this, I was like, totally, I can't wait to do this. And I, but I was in Vancouver for a wedding. Yes. A, a wedding that I went to solo, I should say. I could have been your plus one. You could have been who the plus one, lame. Who doesn't love a wedding crasher? Like, Grode, exactly. it's so funny. You RSVP'd one, and yet there is a second body with you. Um, yeah, and where's your boyfriend, Grode? Why have you hooked up with somebody in Vancouver, and should we tell him? Yeah, I'm just like, hi. Just me yeah. rolling on in. Well, no, I know. I was so, because we should tell people, we're in a bit of a time machine right now, because right now we're beginning of July. So you just went to, who was it, by the way, that got married? My friends, Alan and Darren, they're two Irish guys who, uh, they moved to Vancouver, which mm-hmm. I was furious about in mm-hmm. um, 2015. And uh, I haven't forgiven them, but I, I went you to their wedding. I won't, I'll never forgive them. No. And you went to their wedding and we could have hung out. We, we could, could have hung out and it would have been so nice. Out. I know. And also, I was staying in an Airbnb that, I am not joking, was the most terrifying place I have ever been. 
Tell me everything. What happened? If somebody told me that this was also, uh, you know, an amateur morgue, I would have believed it. Do you remember where in the city you were staying? I was staying on 10th, East 10th. 10th and, do you remember your cross street? Oh, no. Mm. First However, of all, outside yeah. it, there was half a female mannequin, like the legs of a female mannequin outside with a window box on top of it. So I, I showed up and I was like, oh, I've what I've rented Perfect. is a kill room. Dexter's kill room is what I rented. Yes, yes. Yeah. <gasps> there was a mortuary slab that they managed to avoid showing in photos. <laughs> there was a... You know, like a steel sink. There were dental impressions, like a no. huge collection of dental impressions all over this studio. Stop. No, wait. Are you being serious? Wait, is that a joke? 100% serious. I would have moved. I I would have gone hop back on the plane and gone back to Ireland. <laughs> there was a an x-ray of a brain a lit up on a light box. Uh, as you walk in the door, it's the first thing you see. I've never been so terrified in a place in my life. That makes me want to scream. I, that I will say that reminds me, two years ago, I was in Austin, Texas, and I had to be sort of like, I had to have my stay broken up because, you know, that thing happens when you're somewhere for a certain amount of time. It's like, well, our, this one hotel can't accommodate you for all these days. Okay. So you have to switch over to one day and for doing one night over here. Anyway, so the second hotel I go to, first of all, and I'm a resilient person. I want to preface by saying that <laughs> emotionally, physically, you know, I can withstand a lot. I yes. step inside. Listen, I'm in a hotel. Kick my shoes off. I, my feet made contact with that carpet. The texture was so unfamiliar to me. It was like mm. wet, stiff, and also sticky. And here's, and here's the justification I make. Here's the justification I make. I go, listen, it's not like I'm living on the floor. Like if the bed yeah. is good, then I'll just wear my shoes around. Like no problem. Go into the bathroom, flick on the light a cockroach immediately scuttles away. I'm like, well, that's bad news bears. And I go, okay, not great, not great, not great. I still, I'm like, I can power through. It's okay. I'm really like, I'm I'm going to be good about this. It's fine. <laughs> I'm on my way out the door because I'm going to go meet friends. And then just quite literally out of the corner of my eye, I notice there's like something like splattered on the curtain. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. And I go, oh, that is blood. Oh. <sighs> And I went downstairs and I was like, I'm so sorry. I have to leave right now. <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> for my own safety. That is just, I, I just, oh my God. I just, places, I don't expect much from a place. What no. I expect is a television that I can see from my bed. Okay. A, uh, and I can adjust the temperature. And then it yes. just has, the bed has to be fine. Fine and, and relatively clean. That's yes. All. Yes. And I, yes, you want to not feel like you're walking into an environment where someone's going to jump out and make you their latest victim. I know. And do you know what? I, I thought about this afterwards because there was a laptop that was open the whole time and I had to connect to that laptop oh, no. for Wi-Fi. And then I realized, oh my oh, God, no. there's a camera on the laptop. Did you get up to any incendiary behavior, be honest? I mean, I That's was there yes. for three days on my own in an Airbnb. That's yes. You know, so I, I first of I, all, I did. I did what needs to be done. <laughs> I'm going to say this: not if, but when the videos of you <laughs> having your alone time surface online. First of all, to everyone listening at home, I want to say: a, you heard it here first, and b, let's figure out how to monetize ASAP because <laughs> I think, 
monetize immediately that's the trick (laughs) you know i did i don't know if you've had this experience and i swear i'll say this and then let's get on with the show but i did stumble upon a video of a person i knew like jerking off once online (laughs) you see it's just like taking a video of yourself jerking off it's just it's 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 a slippery slope it's you know i'll say listen i'll say this (laughs) And his face was in the video and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the artistic director of that theater. Okay. Like, I, and I knew exactly who it was. And you know what? Listen, at, at the end of the day, you know what it is? Live, laugh, love. Yeah, exactly. Live, yeah. laugh, love, and then jerk off online. That's what they say. There before the grace of God. <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, and he who is without sin, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, cast yeah. the first ejaculation. Yeah, of course. Yes, that's that was the original draft, actually. And then they were like, stone, stone, just say stone, just say stone. Um, I have to say, I am delighted that you are here because, of course, the whole conceit with this show is we want people to bring in the things that really sort of like tickle their brain. The things that like, if in a pinch, like if any of the three things that you brought in, like I know you could deliver a like college level dissertation on, you know, like the things yes. that really speak to you. You've brought in three amazing people, polls, pop culture moments, things that exist in and around sort of just like the zeitgeist. And I want to start with the first one because you and I really actually share this passion in common and I want this to be our springboard because one of your most fam- most favorite people in the world, who's also one of mine, and she's one of the three people we're discussing today, is Bette Midler. Oh my God. Garode, I want you to tell me everything. First of all, here's what I'm curious to know. At what point, do you have a memory of when you first became aware of Bette Midler? Yes. I The first time I ever saw Bette Midler was in the movie Big Business. Oh, good start. It was, I mean, it's just a classic and it's one you return to again and again. Um, because my best friend when I was a child, his father was a projectionist in a cinema. So we used to get to go to the cinema every Sunday for free and whatever film was on we would we would just stay and watch and, and that was uh. where I first saw Big Business and I thought I thought Bette Midler was absolutely incredible but I think the thing about Bette Midler is she's so she's I, this sounds very cruel okay go ahead she is she it has this unremarkable quality in the thing that she's doing but she brings so much of that X factor star power right quality that you can't define that she is absolutely mind-blowing like she is well she's kind of interesting because she's also so in a way even when she debuted so like from a different time yeah like there is something kind of 1930s screwball about her yeah completely i mean even i don't know anyone else that does like uh, like my favorite thing about bet midler is her music Uh, yes and i don't know anyone else that does the type of music that she does. So like she does those, like it's like contemporary pop. It's, it's, you know, torch songs, but then she does these mad quirky, like boogie, woogie, bugle boy. Yes. Like who the hell else was doing boogie, woogie, bugle boy in the eighties? Well, the Andrew sisters, but in the forties. But it, the yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. And she, yeah. Yeah. She, and she, and it shouldn't work so much. That's what I love about Met, Bette Midler is that so much of the stuff that she does really, really shouldn't work, but it does. She just well, brings she, this bit of magic. 
She is this anomaly talent because she is, and I was thinking about this earlier today, and I don't mean this hyperbolically even because there is a song even I could point to where this is quite literally true. You know, she has this, I think, really uncharacteristic or sort of unparalleled rather characteristic, which is that she can, she has this uncanny ability to interpret songs also. Yes. And when I think especially about a song like, um, Hello in there, which, you know, she does yeah. an intro. So she has this live album that was released in 1977 called Live at Last. And she sings that song and she does this whole sort of funny, goofy intro to it as this kind of like old woman character, if memory serves. And then she launches into the song, which is all about sort of the pains and ills about getting older and what does life look like at this phase of your life. And, you know, you go into it laughing and then you're devastated. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a, it is a, it is a devastating experience watching her inhabit something like that she she's incredible and i it's like she just goes okay i i have you where i want you with the comedy and now i'm gonna break your heart it's the ultimate well it's the ultimate foil right completely and the only other defenses down and then attack that's exactly it yeah it's defense that is the best that's a great way to describe it it's defenses down and then attack and the only person i've ever seen do that similarly is actually a Canadian artist called Jan Arden. <gasps> Jan Arden. Who this is, is a- okay. So funny and uh, and instantly devastating. Like the, the you know funny funny yes. stories and then time to break your heart. I'm afraid. Um and yeah, I think both of them just have this little quality that I just think is so rare. Nobody else does that. Nobody else thinks to make us laugh before they're like really honest. Well, because you know what I think we kind of have lost sense of a little bit is this quality of being a little like, it's very sort of old timey, like razzle dazzle. Like we've kind of lost that a little bit, this kind of very specific show personship quality, right? This idea of, uh, it's almost like, you know, the the energy of all the kids who band together put on, you know, like the great greatest show this small town's ever seen. Like there's something yeah, yeah, yeah. about that with <laughs> yeah. the Bette Midler show that is so endearing to me. And I think also very true of, again, entertainers that would have occupied a space sort of pre her generation. Like there was this kind of energy and um, aesthetic she kind of brought from this other era that was so refreshing because you know of course that first record came out in 71 but already by that point you know like lest we forget by by the time Bette Midler debuted Barbara Streisand had already sworn off touring uh you know there was not like there wasn't like um you know there was a there was a certainly you know Aretha Franklin was around like when we talk about divas but you know it's not like she was cracking jokes in between songs right exactly and I feel like if Bette Midler had been more uh, I guess accomplished as a singer, she would have, I think, tried to find her own voice and her own style a bit more. But instead, she went back to, I guess, the stuff that she liked as a kid, and she just reinterpreted. Yes. And and in doing that, she found this, uh, I guess, this this way of expressing herself that's just it's unrepeatable I mean you, there's nobody that you could look to that was doing or has ever done the same stuff as Bette Midler like nobody can do it like her she's hard to imitate it just can't happen well and you even just think about you know how I think generally speaking we've kind of lost this kind of singer right we don't really have interpretive singers anymore because yeah. everyone's either A writing their own material or B things are being written for them Right. 
which admittedly fine its own kind of interpretation, but no one is really doing frankly what's, which is what so many singers used to do, which was kind of recycling what felt like the same 20 songs over and over again, but they would feel fresh and alive because of whomever was singing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, I, th- it's that's, we just don't have that anymore. I know it's, it's, it's really sad because I, I feel, I feel like now when, when, when people are trying to sell themselves, they have to say what they're like or give, you know, give us, give us the paragraph on who you are as an artist, you know, yes. whereas I think Bette Midler, I don't think she ever would have been able to do that, you know, because she was just, it, she was doing stuff right. like, like, right. you know, like she did that, that album of the, just comedy, just like spoken word stuff, Mud Will Get Flung. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I'm sure her record label were like, were like what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, you just... That is actually, that's such a great point. There, There is not an easy elevator pitch with Bette Midler. There really isn't. And, and, and it's so, it was so possible, I mean, definitely for me, uh, to know her as an actress in these, you know... Disney movies, these silly comedies, uh, and not to be aware of the other side of her at all. And I think it was very late. Like, I think it was, I think it was Beaches before I knew she was a singer. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, now I was young because I was yes, quite young right, when right. Big Business came out because I was going to, yes. I was going to the cinema before I should have been going to the cinema because I could get in <sighs> free. Um, Got it. But, uh, yeah, it was Beaches and it was when Experience the Divine came out. And I remember mm-hmm. my aunt had a cassette copy of Experience the Divine. And I thought, what? What the hell is this? Um, and I remember listening to it going, ugh, what is this? I don't understand it at all because I was very, you know, I was very pop. Just give me, give me pop music. You for know? sure, for sure, for sure. Three minute pop nuggets. Um, and it took me a while to get into it. And then once I did, I, I, I feel like Bette Midler is... She's one of those artists that once you like what she does, you kind of want more of it. But because nobody else does it, you just end up going for more about Midler. <laughs> it, that is an incredible point. But now you kind of talk, though, about being very mindful and aware of her operating and sort of working as an actor in comedy. So have you, can I assume there's been a point there where you've gone back and you've seen movies like The Rose, for example? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The Rose. That was like. It was so that funny. That movie is everything. That movie is that, everything. That was one of the last Bette Midler movies that I went to. Um, really? What took yeah. you so long? Well, for a because, lot of people, that's a starting point. I was like big business, ruthless people, outrageous right. fortune. Right. Um, and, and, and beaches. And, and it was Bette Midler doing that Bette Midler thing that Bette Midler does. Um, and then I went back and watched The Rose and it blew my mind. And do you know what I heard, which I thought this was absolutely... I, I I was so stunned when I heard this that Joan Rivers wrote the first draft of the Rose. Are you kidding me? Swear to God. I first of all, if that is true, that is maybe my one of my new favorite showbiz factoids. It's incredible. I heard her say it on an interview that she. I, I, now I don't know how much the movie changed be, be, between her writing the first draft and you know. Yeah, it ended yeah, up as it was, yeah. but I just thought, wow, <laughs> that it kind of blew my mind when I heard that. What a pull! Well, now it's also worth mentioning. So you have this, I think, rather sort of novel experience, actually, of because you did sort of work alongside Joan, did you not? Didn't you? Weren't you touring with <laughs> yeah, her? Yeah, I did. I opened for her in Dublin and in a couple of dates in the UK. Um, when she, it was, it was what what actually turned out to be her last tour. Um, wow. 
Yeah, it was it was it was really strange. I mean, it was one of those things. It happens a lot actually because um when artists do UK tours, particularly American artists, they uh forget that Ireland is not part of the UK. So uh, they book a tour support for the UK and then realize shit, I have to pay for this person's flights and accommodation. <laughs> so right. usually they go to a promoter in Ireland and say, "Hey, not bringing the support. Can you get me someone?" And I I I just happened to be who the I was one of the people the promoter picked and then Joan watched some videos and then picked me. So, Well, that has to be, first of all, if that is not a badge of honor for the rest of your life, I mean, how, I mean. I've I've dined out on that story. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm curious to know when you were touring with her, was there, did you get to know her at all? Was she, was she friendly with you? What was that like? She was really sweet. She was a lovely, a very nice lady. She was a lot more, um, refined actually and and, oh, and sweet than she, I thought yes. she was going to be she right. was so nice and she was so um she was very kind I mean one of I think one of the nicest stories I have about John Rivers is when we were in waiting to do one of the shows in Dublin and um, she saw a tweet that was a guy I think he was from Sweden who had come on, he was like 18 years of age, he'd come on his own, none of his friends would come with him and he just like tweeted that he was here and it was the greatest thing he's ever done, he was on his own. Um, and Joan saw the tweet and went, find him, get him. And, you know, she brought him backstage and she gave oh. him, um, you know, uh, she in, uh, she was on that show, um, Fashion Police at the time. Yes, and she did like sure. a ceremony to induct him into Fashion Police as a Joan Ranger and gave him a badge and then gave oh. him, <laughs> asked if he had food back where he was staying. And he said, no, he was going to get a burger. And then she gave him the rider, which was fancy, expensive cheese. And then I think she brought him back to his hostel. Like it was, I mean, it was just somebody being really, really kind, not you know, not getting any mileage out of it, not going, look what I'm doing on Twitter for social media likes. She was just being really sweet to somebody when she didn't have to be. And it was just Well, that is kind of the MO on her, actually. The the thing that everyone sort of says about Joan when she wasn't performing is that they were struck by not, yes, not only how sweet she was, but she was quite, um, there was like a very, my understanding is that there was a very reserved quality to her. uh, Yeah. A little bit. I mean, and and also sometimes... I mean, and you mentioned, by the way, just being like, also like sort of like fancy and refined. I mean, this is the woman who like, you must have seen that documentary and seeing the inside of her apartment like that. It, it my favorite one liner ever. She says, this is how Marie Antoinette would have lived if she had had money. <laughs> it's so great. So but I great. cut you off. What were you going to say? She, yeah, she was just, I mean, she knew like every so often there would be like people would be standing in a corridor or something and she'd realize, oh, I'll host. Mm. You know, as if it's a party and she'd say, so, you know, so it was 1982 and I was asked to present an Oscar or whenever it was. And she'd tell a story about, you know, having an argument with Barbara Streisand via fax over what, who got to wear what colour. Like, it was just these stories that were just... (laughs) Incredible. I, uh, you know what, I, I, she's one of those people actually I just was thinking about recently and I was like, God, I, I miss that person. And I miss what she did and what she contributed and... It's yeah. a, you, listen, it's an enormous loss when someone go like that goes. I mean, it just is. It just is. Yeah, because I feel that she re- she she represented something in society. Like she had this very very strange platform in that she could say really whatever the hell she wanted. Yeah, and um, and everyone went, oh, it's Joan Rivers, and I I don't know if anyone will, will ever have that platform 
the way she had it or or be taken as i guess that that would not be taken seriously in what they say i mean she did she got you know she got some flack for some stuff but um but i just feel that the place that she was was uh it, it was a very old school point of view and i yes. think that nobody will ever hold that again no. Which is sad for comedy. Well, and because the culture has changed so much. I mean, it's funny. I even think about, you know, going back to Bette Midler, I mean, and this idea also about time and place. I mean, we are so narrowly, you know, moving again to this era where there will be a person then who does not do what Bette Midler does. Because as you said before, there's only one of her. There's no other. Yeah. I mean, are you, I'm curious now, are you at all familiar with um, Bridget Everett? No. She is an American. Um, comic and actor but she holds space uh, or held space primarily in the new york cabaret scene and has since you know gone on and done bigger things i will say if you are looking for a recommendation she has a show on hbo called somebody somewhere which is an absolute gorgeous little show um but she i would say is sort of her meaning bet her most sort of obvious heir apparent that wow. I think she's the one sort of holding the torch. But there's really, there is no one else. I mean, it really is like, because Bet, you're right, was so singular in that way. And I'm curious to know, have you ever had an opportunity to see Bette Midler live? Yes, I did. A couple <gasps> of years ago, um, I, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I, I can't remember, I was having a rough time for some reason. I can't remember why. But Bette Midler was coming to London and it was sold out. And I came home. And I had been out with my friends and I had had maybe, you know, one gin and tonic too many. And I came and home. And only one. Only one just, too many. Oh, just one. Just one. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was allowed. Yeah. And I came home and I went on the Ticketmaster, whatever that, that you know, sell on site. Yes, yes, uh, yes. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to work. Me and my boyfriend, we're going to Bet Miller. And uh, let's see how much this is going to cost because that's how much we're paying. And I think I paid uh, about 1500 For two tickets? For two tickets. <laughs> I mean, that does check out. And I was, but I was, you know, it was Wembley Arena and I was maybe 10 rows from the front. Um, uh, and Jan Arden actually was uh, five rows from the front. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was the first what time I met Jan Arden. What a wild and time. I, uh, and my boy, it's funny, it was the first time I met Jan Arden and I, my boyfriend was sitting beside me and I went, oh my God, Jan Arden. <laughs> and she went, hello, because she's absolutely gorgeous and a lovely individual and I said I really love your album Jan Arden because she has an album called Jan Arden and she, she sure does. then was was very nice about it and then I don't know what happened but verbal diarrhea came out of my mouth for about three minutes and then when she walked away my boyfriend just said what was that <laughs> you know what but there bad. are just these people because you know what it is it's again time and place when else are you going to have the opportunity to say listen Jan Arden I have these Feelings I've been suppressing for a long time. And now this is my moment to tell you everything that I've ever thought about you. Yeah, I really should. And I should. And it was, but it was the most incredible night because Bette Midler, like she just, she's just a unique experience live. And even when she did, you know, Wind Beneath My Wings, she gave, she just gave this beautiful, you know, three or four sentences beforehand about how she sang this song once. It's no longer her song. It's, she has no entitlement to it it's your song and i'm gonna do it the way you want it and it she did it and the place was just you know climbing the walls it was just incredible here's what i'm also fascinated by when it comes to your attachment to bet your 
And I was sort of given prior intel about this, and I think you might be right in saying that you're maybe alone here. Would you like to share with our listening audience what your favorite Bette Midler record is? (laughs) (laughs) Because for anyone who, let me spoil it. It's not the Divine Miss M. It's, it's not, not the Divine Miss M. It's no. not, uh, it, it isn't, it isn't even the soundtrack to Beaches. It isn't, uh, it isn't the record where From a Distance is on. Your favorite record, Garoad Fairly, is? It is Bed of Roses. Oh, there it is on camera from 1995. From 1995. Why does that record speak to you so much? I don't know why that. I, I actually don't know because I, in looking at the canon of Bette Midler, it 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 doesn't it doesn't really fit. It's it's the one that like is kind of stuck sideways in there. Um, I think some people's lives, or even the one she did after Bathurst Betty, is probably slightly more true to Bette Midler. But I remember the first time I heard this album, and it was there was a show in the UK called uh, Ruby Wax Meets. Oh, of course. Oh yeah, my and, god, and yes. When that album came out, Bette Midler was on it. And uh, she asked, Ruby Wax asked her about the new album, and she said, oh, my favourite song on it is To Deserve You. And she was on the escalator in Harrods, and she just sang a bit of it, and it was so dramatic and camp and, you know, there was like it's a song that has absolutely no dignity whatsoever in it and um and then they showed a clip of it and i just thought oh my god that's incredible because i think i think it really spoke to me because that's sort of teenager i was it was like you know oh to deserve you you know when i loved right. i loved with all i had <laughs> was there an element maybe also what spoke to you about bet was also this sort of speaking to your inner closeted gay child knowing that she was this gay icon triumvirate sort of once in a generation talent oh you think <laughs> maybe just a, just, just a, a little smidge, bit just, just a little, little bit, bit. Yeah, <laughs> it was oh yeah and I mean everything on this album is so um, yeah it's just so camp and dramatic and you know uh you know, and then at the end, there's like uh, that song, I Believe in You, which is like, I don't believe that Hagen Daz and Motherhood have done my body any good. I don't believe in superstars and fancy food or foreign cars, but Hagen Daz and Motherhood have done my body any good. That Elvis is alive and well, that courtesy has gone to hell. That kindness is in short supply That little kids should have to die But I believe in love I believe in dreamers Like it's just, you know, it's like God bless her They are perfect drag queen songs Yes They really are Well, because also Bette Midler is a drag queen Completely even Completely. though I, there, I will say a through line between her and Joan. Um, first of all, have you ever met Ben Midler? No. Well, the neither dream. have I, but my understanding is that she is, I think much to the shock of people who meet her pleasant, but very reserved, very quiet. And actually, uh, her own apparent, uh, natural sense of humor is not as body, let's say, as what it is on stage. Okay. The person she is on stage, that is very much a persona and a character. It is this, and you know, and also lest we forget, Bette Midler was a person who was sort of imagined by gay men. I mean, you know, the people who were writing yes. for her, Bruce Valanche, those were all gay men who were writing very campy, big, you know, sort of yeah, yeah. 
you know, body jokes, right? And so that was kind of, that was all a character in a way. Okay. I, I know one of my friends um, is a comedian and did a, a, a TV show with Bette Midler in the UK oh. and got to use her bathroom. Need, was it needed clean? the loo and said, Bet, can I use your loo? And Bet said, sure. <gasps> and and, I, and I, I, every time I see her, I get her to tell me that story and just. <sighs> oh, my God. There because are. Uh, I go, feel like go, she's go. just done. I, I feel like Bet Midler is somebody who makes what are perceived missteps in her career all of the time. Particularly in her music career, all the time, everything's right? a misstep. She does not do a commercial is, choice. She does not do a commercial choice. Yeah. yeah. Well, at the risk of sounding hokey, it's because she's listening to her inner voice. It's she's doing mm. what feels authentic to her, which is also again talk about rarefied space. So few people, yeah, I hundreds think, are, of millions of dollars will do that for you. <laughs> I mean, well, and speaking of hundreds of millions of dollars, I think this is as good a segue as any to pivot to another one of your pop culture pulls, if you will, and one of the people that you say sort of has factored largely in your life. Speaking of a singing diva, girl. Are we going to talk about Miss Kylie Minogue or what? Kylie Minogue. Can we also hold? Can we hold space also very quickly for the fact that this is a woman north of forty in the pop sphere who is currently having such a moment with Param Param. I am so delighted. Same. I feel like I feel like it's every time Kylie Minogue has success, I feel like it's overdue. Yes. One that one hundred percent because in a way it feels that well because that feels apt because in a way I think there was a moment in the eighties especially where she was kind of being positioned primed to be like the competitor counterpoint to Madonna right but Kylie's career never really got certainly did very well for herself I'm not trying to diminish that but didn't see that kind of stratospheric like once in a lifetime success that a person like Madonna saw, right? Yeah, I guess it, in America and um, Canada, definitely not. I mean, in the UK and Ireland and Europe, she she definitely did have massive success at the very Absolutely. start of her career. Yes. But, um, but it's really strange. I mean, that was a really, really strange time. Uh, and I think that this is where I guess, I guess early Kylie Minogue is it always kind of mystifies me because Kylie Minogue was the biggest thing since sliced bread, you know, at the start of her career. She right. was, there was nobody bigger than Kylie Minogue. And yet she was so vilified left, right and centre for being part of, you know, the Stock Aiken and Waterman Hiff factory. And mm. it was considered homogenised pop. And, and Bubblegum pop, right? Yeah, bubblegum pop. And the gays were kind of, it was all, uh, we were all pretending that I, I guess we were pretending Kylie wasn't for the gays, you know, and it, it was this, it was the post, uh, you know, it was the tail end of, I guess, the AIDS crisis. Right. It, it had become homogenized. What we had with Boy George and, and Marilyn and Divine and all of that, that was, that had all been bled out by the AIDS crisis. All of that just stopped. And what we had was um, Stockick and Waterman and their, their whole ethos was the sound of a bright young Britain. It was... Um, you know, boys and girls next door, completely mm. sexless, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and that was, I think, how 
Kylie was marketed and it was like it was it was a strange like it was a strange start but those the, like that music those first four albums I mean there isn't a dud on any of them I mean well that's that's a really interesting thing also to bring up because again when you factor in sort of the cultural shift because different than now where she is so I mean, obviously claimed by the gay community and in particular gay men. And I think that's something that's kind of sort of cool actually now a little bit that she sort of like belongs to this group of people. But you're right that in the late 80s and early 90s, that was not because the thing, obviously, again, to counterpoint, Madonna obviously had a very enthusiastic gay following, but also women loved her and also you know like straight dudes wanted to fuck her so there was also like that thing that kind of like she was for everyone in a way that didn't feel so exclusive to the gay community whereas i think you know especially now again because that is kylie's slot but that wouldn't have been so easy to swallow then because of all of the um well because of the homophobia that was just so homophobia and bigotry those old chestnuts. <laughs> Those old chestnuts that just keep biting us in the ass, huh? Yeah. Like, we yeah. still just can't quite get over that hill. Padam and padam. <laughs> I mean, and that's padam on that. But do you, like, so you, if so then, gun to your head, if there was one Kylie song that you had, that you, oh, only one that you had to listen to for the rest of your life, you would pick which song? Better the Devil You Know. <gasps> An incredible choice. It's just an absolute pop banger. I I love it. I mean, there's so many. There's another song on that Rhythm of Love album called Secrets, which I Mm. play so often. It's such a great song. Um, But I mean, she, to my mind, she can't go wrong. She's just, she has such a massive, like, I mean, she's so, she has had so many albums that I forget, I I forget about songs. Like I heard All the Lovers there a couple of weeks ago and I thought, oh Oh, my my God, right. What a track. Um, well, and she's also interesting to me as well because she's a kind of person who I think also has this un- kind of unique thing. I For me, it's like it's her and Dolly Parton who also seem just sort of like just beloved. Like there's yes. not – like how about this? Even someone who isn't a Kylie Minogue fan still only has nothing but great things to say about her. Exactly. Yeah, I think that she has, she occupies this very, um, very rare space in that she is the girl next door who we heard a lot from earlier in her career. You know, uh, she was on a soap. She did interviews left, right and centre. She was mm-hmm. all never off the television. And now I feel, I feel that in that respect, she's kind of done her time. You know, we don't hear that much from her. We don't. You know, the big interviews are quite well, exce- rare. Yes, true. Except for because she's having this moment with Padam Padam now, she's really making the rounds. But that is generally true. You are absolutely which, right. Which is kind of rare, actually, because I, I saw even there was a clip of her on a radio show and she was, you know, joking around. I thought, God, I, have, I haven't seen this Kylie in, in, in a long time. Right. Right. Um, but I'm she's, here- I think she's great. And I think I would, the only thing, uh, my bugbear. Oh, with Kylie, and, and I do have one. Which I, is? I, 
I sometimes think she could be slightly more uh, active as an ally. Explain what that looks like to you, because I, I would like to explore this. Um, I don't think she gets involved in politics. Well, she doesn't get involved in politics. No. Um, I think her... Also very kind of interesting, very, like, sort of very parallel to Dolly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel that she, we're very clear of her position that she loves the gays. Um, but every so often I kind of like, I kind of like her to show it a little bit because... You want her to say that, you want the famous person that you love to say the thing you want them to like tell to name a politician to go fuck themselves and to say emphatically this is what i believe yes yeah i feel like that i feel like that the longer the longer we have kylie i feel like the bigger her hammer gets Mm. and i feel every so often like thor i'd like her to bring it down every so often (laughs) right you know well, and that could also speak to why not unlike Dolly, she has that likability thing. It's because she doesn't really open her mouth in that way, right? She has yeah. she does this incredible thing where she can sort of play both sides of the fence. Even though I think, I, th- I think Dolly is an example of someone who's kind of finessed being apolitical down to a science. I think Kylie is slightly more political in that I think she's slightly more outspoken. But it is true that she doesn't really say the thing. No, she doesn't. And she, like, even there were things with, you know, the Sultan of Brunei and, um, you know, I, I, I just well, would I don't, like I don't know the Sultan to... of Brunei story. Can you actually, can you inform me? I do yeah, not know I, this. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. I think, I think there were people were, were people boycotting the Dorchester or something and she, I can't, I can't quite remember what it was, but there was a part of me that was like, come on, Kylie, say something. I think it maybe it had to do with the 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 laws against homosexuality over there. I, huh. I can't, I can't, I don't quite remember what it was, but I remember being a bit miffed. Mimi, Google um, Kylie Minogue and Sultan of Brunei, and just see what happens, and just see what happens, just, and then drop it in the what, chat. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, you know, my, uh, do you feel this way? My kvetch with Kylie actually is, I wish she was also a little more. I wish she was a little more judicious about the material she sang. By which I mean, I think Kylie is an incredible singles artist. But for me, when you like the deeper listen to an album, tends to not always match that. Yeah, she has her clunkers. Yes. Yes. She does have her clunkers. That is is definitely true. I'm I'm trying to think of one. Um, I didn't love the X album. Didn't love the X album. I mean, did I really need Monday Blues off of the, you know, disco <laughs> album? Not really. Probably not. No. No. Or Fine Wine. Fine Wine. No. Do I really need a woman who's middle-aged to be talking about how much Monday suck? You know? Yeah. No. Especially not one that has, you know, her level of success and money. And I, I think Mondays are, Mondays I would imagine in Kylie's household, household uh, still pretty good. <laughs> What's also, in terms of her also kind of being an interesting one in ter- as it pertains to, oh, Mimi just dropped something in the motherfucking chat, y'all. The Sultan of Brunei introduced Sharia law. He's part owner of the Dorchester Collection, so it prompted a boycott of these properties, which include the Dorchester, the Beverly Hills Hotel, and more. And so then I guess and Kylie I think w- was performing year, there? I think Kylie performed at the door. I, can, mm. I think... There was there was definitely something. And there was just a part of me that was like, I feel the difference between her and Dolly is if you were to take Dolly's album sales and there would still be a proportion of straight 
you know, men with oh, sure. questionable sure. views who would buy Dolly Parton records. Absolutely. Whereas I think with Kylie, I would imagine if we were to find out who had ordered the physical CD single of Padam Padam, who was straight, <laughs> I would imagine <laughs> it is three men that would stand very nervously in a room and then I would imagine two of them would fuck each other <laughs> at some right. point while they were waiting. And then, and then the third one would jerk off while the other two were <laughs> fucking each other. And then they're all there not to sell anyone. And then they, yeah. you know, sit back down with their CD singles on their lap. <laughs> and you know what? That's their prerogative and that's allowed. <laughs> but I think Kylie has to acknowledge that the majority of her audience are, are us little old gays. <laughs> right. I do wonder about that because I think maybe because people like you and I, our instinct is just to be sort of a little more transparent about our feelings. And yeah, I've never quite understood the, what's what I'm looking for? Reluctance to just be a little more forthcoming about one's feelings. Yeah. And I guess maybe, maybe it's that she has, you know, been very successful for a very long time and she's very cushioned from the the world. And, you know, I guess, but but you're right. If her if her fan base is primarily gay men, what does she have to lose by saying? Actually, I would love it if if gay people weren't having to encounter the insane amount of you know harassment that they currently are. Like yeah. what what backlash from her fan base could she possibly have from that? <laughs> I know. I mean, there will be literally <laughs> there will none. be literally nothing. Parades would be thrown in her honor. Absolutely. I, I mean, she has this. She she is she is very much the the queen of the gays. I mean, I th- I think even the the whole yeah. Padam Padam thing that was so shared. It was so funny when that song came out. Um, I thought, yay, new Kylie track, and I would say I listened to it incessantly for weeks. You know, just yes. by scrolling. I just heard it, heard it, heard it. Oh, and because everyone, it's on TikTok, it's on Instagram, it's it being co-opted for every sound. Yes. And then I realized I haven't actually played this full song. Like it's been my earworm for two right. weeks, but right. I haven't actually played it. Right. Uh, and that's the level of support I think that she has. Yes. From my echo I chamber. I think you're right. <laughs> Listen, your echo chamber, which is currently being populated by another gay man. Um, <laughs> that person <laughs> is me. I don't know if you picked up on that. It's me, Grote. It's me. It's you. Let's move on because I wanted to save the best for last and also something. And I know, especially in the queer canon, what I'm about to tell you is deeply controversial. So I want you to brace yourself. Please still be my friend once I tell you this. Get ready. Okay. Because you, as part of your third pop culture poll, have given us the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls. What I would like to say to you now, and this is where I really, I need you to be strong. Okay. Okay. I have never, I can't even believe I'm about to admit this on on a mic. I've never seen a whole episode through of the Golden Girls. Lame. I know. How? I know. How are you, how, what has gone into your formation? I want you to know that Mimi Collins, our producer, literally just chimed in in the chat and just wrote, I gasped. I know. I, first of all, I want to say this. I'm not at all proud of it. I think it's a disgusting personality flaw. I, I I have every chance to correct it, and yet for some reason I have not. Well, I will say this. While I judge you 
mm. very harshly for this. You should, and you should. And while I think you, I think you should be ashamed, and very I am. much ashamed, and I am. I am somewhat jealous. <gasps> Explain. Because I think when you think of an eighties sitcom, you think of something that is a little bit tired, a little bit. You know, I, I'm going to have to forgive a lot watching this. Right. But I will promise you that there is no lead in time. There is no, oh, just, you know, just get over the first season of Shit's Creek or Parks right. and Rec. Right. There is, this is four characters, North, South, East and West. They do what they say on the tin and it is comedy bangers. <sighs> Well, can I tell you, here's what I know to be true, though, also, and again, in my very sort of bird's eye view of the show, is that the social politics of that show have aged quite well as well, because they were so, I mean, for Christ's sakes, they were talking about AIDS on that show, you know, and we're talking, you know, deep in the 80s when, you know, certainly that would have been at its most... uh, controversial heated uh, uh you know divisive you know that was that was not something that i think people were at all quick to even consider broaching in a 80s sit- family sitcom and and there, and the the aid stuff they did and they did a couple of episodes devoted to it um that was very smart because blanche was the you know uh as they say themselves the slut yes yes <laughs> um, and rose was the squeaky clean and it was rose that thought she might have uh, been infected with AIDS. Right. Um, it, like, everything was very smart. And one of my favourite episodes, and I, and I rewatched it, actually, to, to talk to you today, is Eptide's Revenge, which is, there is a running joke all through the series that Dorothy's brother is a cross-dresser. Ah. And he dies of a heart attack. Um, and his wife uh, comes to the funeral, and Sophia doesn't talk to his wife and it's all the whole episode is about uh sophia being ashamed of her son and the whole thing leads into the whole thing speaks to i guess the mothers whose sons had died of aids and there's nothing to be ashamed of i mean it's just it's the most brilliantly written episode it's just and that's the that's what i loved about the golden girls is you couldn't get you wouldn't be able to get a credit card through the brilliance like it was just it, wall to wall. Let go of the shame. So what if he was different? It's okay that you loved him. I did love him. He was my son. My little boy. But every time I saw him, I always wondered what I did, what I said. When was the day that I did whatever I did to make him the way he was? What he was, Sophia was a good man. Now, when you first are watching the show, are you watching it on your own as it's on television? Is it something that you are sort of gaining access to through an older family member? Like, how do you, how does the show even sort of factor into your life? Well, I first saw The Golden Girls. It used to be on Network 2 in Ireland. And it was, God, I would have been, I guess... 11 or 12 and it would come on after a program after a soap I think that my family used to watch and when it would come on I would 
be allowed to watch it until something was introduced that I shouldn't be seeing. Ah, okay. And the number of times that I was sent to bed immediately after Blanche saying, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that's all it took for I mean, your parents. I, 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 maybe, they maybe. Said, she said, man, she said, man, and we didn't know where it was going to go from there. So he said, Garode, we want you to go to bed because we don't know what this is going to elicit in you. Blanche made it too enticing. <laughs> and that is honestly, listen, they're blaming Gaiman for grooming, but it was actually all Rue McClanahan. It was, it, was ex- it was explicitly her fault. It was, and it's, it was just, it's so funny. Like, I think, I think the best sitcom, like if it creates its own little world, it's completely timeless. And this is absolutely timeless. Like that, that episode that I, that I mentioned there, Ebtide's Revenge, there is so much in that, that is, that is, I guess, on paper, problematic. The words that are used are all right, wrong. The, right, you know, right, all of right. this, like wall to wall, there's loads of that stuff. But the character, the characters just have so much heart and it's, you see exactly what they're doing that you just, it just goes over your head. Like it's, oh, it's so good. Well, and there's, a, and there's something I think also uh, to be said about intention, right? Because even oh, if yes. you have, even if you are broaching, let's say, uncomfortable subject matter, if your intention, if you're very clear, how about this? If you're very clear about, and I'm sure you can relate to this certainly as a comedian, if you are very clear about who is on the receiving end of your barb, yeah. If you are not, so long as you are punching up and not punching down, you're probably fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Golden Girls, the intention, it was, it was always, they were always on the side of the angels. It was just, it, I don't think there'll ever be anything like it. I, I feel like Sex and the City was probably a watered down version of it. To be honest. Well, yes. And it's funny to think about really actually, and now maybe it's more direct comparison would be, and just like that, because of course now, and I think this was even sort of called attention to when, and just like that debuted, which is that those actors, if, if not the exact ages are approximately the ages that, you know, Betty White, B. Arthur, Rue McClanahan, they all would have been when they first started Golden Girls, which is insane to think about. And also, wow. and what an interesting thing when you consider then, uh, again, our cultural approaching of age, right? Because so much of Golden Girls, I mean, these were women who were really midlife, but made to look like they were about to die tomorrow. I mean, like they were very much made to yeah, look like yeah. grannies, right? Yes. Whereas now, if you had that show with women who were, let's say, north of 50, they would still look really slick and pulled together. And I mean, how about this? Even with a show like Grace and Frankie with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, you know, these are women who would have been in their 70s, but they still, Jane Fonda, especially because of her character, is like slick and sexy and her hair is done and she looks immaculate. And, you know, there just wasn't that, 100%. And, you know, there just, there wasn't that kind of emphasis or even any consideration given to certainly not, I think, women in that era, especially, but then certainly not women that age. Completely. And and it's so funny because the like the 80s was such a fascinating time for that because, you know, on primetime television, you had the Golden Girls, you mm-hmm. had uh, Cagney and Lacey, you had Murder, She Wrote. There were all these older women who, right. I guess, weren't, uh, they weren't the, the typical glamorous look right, that right. you would imagine that well certainly that TV stars need to have now right where now you need to look like you've like you need to be 21 and look like you've already made like 
eight trips to the quote unquote dentist, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like it's where it's that's I will never get over that twenty one year old. I'm sorry to say, primarily female actors. And of course, we know that's because they're encountering a kind of uh, unfair judgment uh, and and critique that men never are. But when you see these 21-year-old young women who still are not even fully physically developed, don't even know what they're going to look like when they're older, and they are already fucking with their face to the degree that they no longer even resemble the slightest approximation of what they looked like going into it. They kind of like, yeah, the, yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. all becoming now like these sex doll versions of ourselves, yeah. which I know is your, I, per, I know that's your preferred aesthetic of Garode, but that's just where you and I differ. <laughs> that's just where you and I differ. Okay. Absolutely. I like those big, just punched look on my lips. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I know the kind of like, looks like you're about to stick yourself to the side of a fishbowl. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, 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 that's what I'm going for. See these little pin babies? I'm going to get them fixed. (laughs) Oh, if you, can I say, joking aside, if you did that, that would literally break my heart. If our little Garode, if our little Garode Farrelly was someone who just decided that he wanted to look like Dolph Rundgren, or whatever, Lundgren, whatever the fuck his name is, like, that he wants to look like his his face is going to be perfectly square, that would, and like a rectangle, that would just break my heart. My One of those God. great big chins. Yeah, d- with the little, with the dimple. <laughs> with the um, t- yeah, the big bum. <laughs> but it is, I will say, it's interesting about Golden Girls, though, that I think that show is an anomaly. Because the one thing that I do kind of take umbrage with now when it comes to storytelling that tends to f- focus on, let's say, quote-unquote, older characters, is that there's this, there's this tendency, I find, where they kind of need to make them either overtly sexual, overtly gratuitous, or, or, or overtly cutesy or, you know, like, and actually what I thought was kind of incredible about the Golden Girls is that it did seem like they could just be, certainly, yes, they had their archetypes and they were different, they had roles, yeah, yeah. but that they could also just be like older women who had learned something about their lives, you know? Yeah, like they, exactly. They, they, and that and in, also In spite mean. of it being a broad, com- yes, in spite of it being a broad comedy, like they were so quite grounded. Yeah, they were really, they were really grounded and they could be, they, they, and they addressed things that nobody else was talking about. Like, for example, these are the pre-Viagra days. So they, (sighs) you know, I remember there was an episode uh, where, you know, somebody was going out with somebody who couldn't get it up. And I mean, of course, there was like the incredible line where Blanche says, that's never happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) But 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 these are the days pre-internet. Right. You know, right. so I guess people that were watching the show, women that were watching the show, were, were like, oh, I guess this is just a single problem that only happens to me. And I'm this, you know, I'm trapped in this thing. And then all of a sudden people are talking about it on television. And it was so, I guess that's the difference with television between now and then. And even with Cagney and Lacey, there were those episodes where Lacey got breast cancer and they were like, there's this new mm. thing. It's called a lumpectomy. And that was their way to get this out into the world because there was no other, you know, broad mainstream information highway that they could just send this what into. What an incredible point. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. There's a whole reason why appointment television existed because yes, of course, it's like, you know, these are famous shows and listen, either if you don't catch it at 7.30, then you're fucked, right? But because yes. it's, not, it's not like we have um, satellite TV where you can watch it 10,000 other times over the course of a day, but you're absolutely right how it also in some ways, television especially is really helping to foster a sense of community because then for women, let's say who are watching the Golden Girls who think maybe they have their own sort of private 
singular quibble about either themselves getting older or having to deal with someone else getting older that actually, no, it's not. It can be not to sound like I'm, you know, trying to mount, you know, some soapbox here, but I mean that it does help to provide like a sense of community and that there's like a world beyond you. Right. Especially in that era where you can feel quite isolated. Yeah. And and also it's one of those shows that when you look at it now, like I think if you don't know the golden golden girls, you're, your thought on it could be like, oh, it's it's this great big, you know, fancy property from the 80s. I wonder, will they remake mm. it? Mm. And yet when you watch it, you go, oh, they don't need to remake this. This 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 stands up the way it, it, it did back then. It Like it's... Totally. Uh, I think it's a good example of 80s television that was so well made and so well thought through that it's just completely timeless. Well, and and isn't it interesting that in the wave of sort of reboot culture that we've found ourselves in, that it is the one that's sort of been left alone. Now, understandably, I, I of course, appreciate that largely because, you know, unfortunately, uh, a great number of the actors who were part of that show are no longer with us. If not now, I think maybe they, they might yeah, all, all of them. be just, yeah, yeah because Betty White was, a, was the last one, but you know, that they wouldn't even consider to like, you know, fresh it up with a new cast or blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, like they did with, uh, not that this was a new cast, but you know, certainly we saw reboots of Murphy Brown. We saw m- reboots of Roseanne. We saw, you know, but that golden girls, I think it is, you're right. It is such a testament to that show's quality that they would say like, we need to leave this untouched. Because yeah, it, it is exactly it what it needs to be. Right. Speaking of things that are perfect, babes, you, I think you are going to get your your best guest medal because you were perfect. This was... <laughs> Thank you so much, Liam. Well, and also how nice this was our, this was really, if you think about it, our first chance actually properly speaking to each other. What a joy and a delight yeah. you are. It was so nice. It was so nice to meet you. And I think I'm back in, I think I'm back in Vancouver in October. Well, this is what you were saying. So first of all, two things. One, you need to confer with me about where you're staying. Because obviously (laughs) we've learned that you can't be (laughs) trusted and left your own devices. (laughs) And, um, and we must hang out when you're in town next. What a blast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now let people know, because this is your sort of time to, I want you to say all the things that people should be doing and following you. So first of all, we should say they should be subscribing, rating and reviewing to your podcast, Agony Rants. Yes. That's right. That's my podcast with Neve Kavanagh, who won the Eurovision for Ireland in 1993. So uh, she's, you know, she is a, she's a goddess and we're lucky to have her. Um, So that comes out every Monday. And it is, yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do. And it's very popular. I thought it was going to die. Honestly, I thought we'd do six of them. Nobody would listen. It would be over. But it's actually, it's, it's, it's big. And that in a nutshell (laughs) is the absolute Irish mentality of like, you know something? I was going to pursue something. And I did think just surely, strictly by me being involved, it would fail. It would fail. But as it turns out. As it turns I'm out, astonished. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe it. Well, let people know also where can they find you on social media? I'm what are your Garone handles? Farrelly, and it's spelled Gearoid. Yes, it sure is. Two it sure is. Um, and if you're in Ireland or the UK, I'm on tour. Uh, my I'm paused at the moment, but the next leg of my tour is September to January. Um, oh. So I'll be all around the place. You were a delight. Thank you. The fact that you would make time for this in spite of the time difference. My God. My God. Always. And if ever somebody pulls out, just call me. I listen. It was my pleasure. I, first of all, don't tell me that because you know that I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to be like, 
I don't Anytime, care that it's any place. I don't care that it's one a.m. your time. Get on the mic right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's an episode. Come on and talk about Wilson Phillips. It'll be I, my dream. <laughs> part two, and that's part, part two. two. <laughs> Garod, thank you so much. You were a vision, a blast. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. You're the oh. best. My thanks to Garode Farrelly, a gem, a vision, an absolute prince amongst men. Be sure to follow him on socials. If you can, go see him perform. Go see him live. Be sure to rate and review and subscribe to his podcast, Agony Rants. And speaking of rating, reviewing, and subscribing, this show, believe it or not, I do strictly only for validation, and particularly validation online. So if you could give this show a five-star review write a little blurb. It would mean the world. Share the show with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Also mortal enemies. I will happily take mortal enemies. Um, And also as a little added caveat, I want to leave you with something that I want to tell you everything about, something that I've been obsessing over recently. I will say, if you have not, oh my God, it's past the point now. It's not in theaters, but if you can find it, whether it's streaming, if it's a DVD copy, I don't know if it's up in the cloud. I really don't know how movies work anymore. But if you have not seen Past Lives with Greta Lee, it is such a gorgeous Christmas card of a movie. It is about this fraught relationship between these two childhood best friends who then grow up and grow apart. And then the movie centrally kind of talking about them kind of sort of reintroducing each other into you know back into each other's lives and then realizing maybe that there are sort of deeper feelings on the underbelly of everything it's just an absolutely gorgeous movie i highly recommend that you watch it and for pete's sake you know again i'm liam garrow be sure to follow me on socials at liam garrow across all platforms we will see you next time with another fabulous new guest and until then everyone thank you for listening bye bye